Hi, I'm Paul Schrempf, and welcome to Microdosing, where we look at small, specific topics that represent larger trends in the business of healthcare. Many people are surprised that this podcast is not a major source of income for me. In fact, it doesn't generate any income, which leads people to ask, what then do you do for a living? Well, in short, I'm a partner at Profit. And in this series, I'll introduce you to a number of my colleagues, young and old, that'll give you a sampling of what we do. I hope you enjoy. Hi, today I'm joined by Adrian Albright. Adrian, welcome. Thank you. Well, let's dive right in as we always do. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you came to, to profit. So I think I probably have one of the more fun routes to profit. It started, I think, when I was back in my graduate school days studying the intersection of art and the history of medicine in medieval England. Not your typical sort of story. I discovered soon after graduating, though, that I didn't want to become a doctor and I hated working in art galleries, so I had to figure out a way to make money and get health insurance. And so I figured I'm good at researching, I'm good at problem solving, and clearly I'm good at selling myself because I was able to beg, borrow, and steal my way into a job at a small consulting firm. So I cut my teeth in the world of brand consulting, primarily with um, health companies, both more on the sort of nonprofit side, as well as the sort of B2B supplier side. And after a couple of years there, I ended up coming to profit. I always love your backstory because it always reminds me of one of my favorite little pieces of thinking, so to speak, because this was a, another conversation we had with our healthcare team earlier this week, because we, I think our favorite thing about the healthcare practice is our, our bookish club, which includes podcasts and documentaries. But one of my favorite pieces of, of thinking out there is, is a guy named Chuck Klosterman, which is kind of a pop culture expert, but put together a, a book and it's just around what if everything that we know today is wrong okay. built on the philosophy of like whenever you zoom out and you just look back 200 years and put yourself 200 years ago and look back another 200 years ago you look back at the certainty the world had around a variety of topics yeah. and how we were as a society fundamentally wrong the world is flat bloodletting the list goes on and on and his question just for more entertainment is like what do we believe to be fact today that will end up being completely wrong 200 years from now and it kind of gets you to think and i even saw that with um was it the ken burns cancer documentary yeah. a few years ago with the double radical mastectomy and how a chunk of professionals realized that that was just a stupid and effective procedure that went on for like 15 years. But I don't know, whenever I hear about your backstory, it takes me to medieval science and it takes me to bloodletting and it takes me to that little train of thought, which I think is always funny for us to think about uh, as healthcare leaders to tie it all back. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think what is interesting is that people think of like science in the middle ages as something that isn't very sophisticated, but the work that I did was highly sophisticated. It was based on mm -hmm. a bunch of measurements around when eclipses were happening and astronomy and how you would measure the distances of stars from one another. And I think sometimes people wrap up uh, ideas at best in sort of sophistication and then we all yeah. of a sudden just all sort of take it as fact. So. For sure. I mean, you look at, I mean, we'll go in a rabbit hole for a bit and pop back up. It's just like the, the navigation of uh, the native 
people in the Pacific Islands and how they're able to get one island to another based on astronomy. Or you look at sundials and keeping time or how long we've been eating other animals so we knew the aspect of biology and butchering. So it's like the, the, the level of knowledge back then was pretty darn high. Yeah. So I agree with you. Um, and then would love to bring it on back to your time here at Profit. What's your experience been at Profit? How do you describe what you do to your friends and family? So it depends on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to my friends over a beer on a Friday, I describe myself as a corporate therapist. Because what we're really doing is we're taking the flashpoints for a company, the things that get people upset or excited or have strong emotions, and we're helping to frame them and solve for them in a way that brings in different viewpoints that increases their ability to serve the audiences that they want to serve while also improving the overall outcomes for the company, whether that is impact or finances. I think that's the sort of joking way I describe it. When I think about my day to day, I really think of my superpower being, I'm really good at seeing above the fray. I'm really Mm -hmm. good at getting in the weeds with, with my team but then also coming up and being able to tell an executive, here's here's what matters for you. And here are the blockers you need to help us with, or here's where we can help you. And I think what really energizes me is mm-hmm. putting teams together to solve really hard problems and making them run really well. And I find that what makes healthcare in particular so appealing beyond my sort of own personal interest is that the problems we're answering are both harder and mm-hmm. matter more than almost any other industry that I've ever worked in. And there's lots of, uh, I'll use the term traps, and I'm going to tread lightly on language, and I apologize if this gets interpreted the wrong way. It's not meant to. But there's so many things around the, uh, I, I always pick on the term patient. Mm-hmm. It, it's so easy to say patient first and toss that term around loosely, but there are so many instances in healthcare where the patient's not in control and the patient's not paying the bill and the patient's not doing lots of things, but but you feel disingenuous as a healthcare organization to say, we're not patient-centric. You, the patient can be the object, the beneficiary, get that, but, but it's funny watching just confusion around who's your master, so to speak? What, what are you trying to win with? What are those pieces that we need to move and change behavior around and who are those people? Um, because it's oddly enough, not often the patient for good or bad. Um, but that's like one of many things in healthcare where it's so easy to get distracted by the wrong topic and you find yourself tackling the problem in the wrong way. I just used a lot of jargon and concepts there, but I'm just trying to play back a little bit about what you said. Yeah, and I think I can put it into context as I worked on a really big project. It spanned years. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to both work on the brand side of things as well as actually the more um, strategic business planning and business model side of things. And I think what became really apparent is that a lot of these organizations are forced to present one way in public and present another way in the boardroom. And I think that is, it's not always a negative tension because I think sometimes you need those opposing factors to keep each other in check. You can't have a patient-centric business if it's not making money. And it's healthcare, so if you don't serve the patient in some way, what are you doing? But I do think that there is a tension, and I think for consultants, it can be easy to almost fall for your own marketing 
and yeah, forget yeah. that actually, yeah. especially when we're talking about business models, those are driven by multiple competing stakeholders that have really distinct interests and also often don't have a ton of control even given the regulatory oversight. And right. so I think it's really, it's almost like we just described the conflict between sort of brand and execution or brand and strategy that these companies are constantly navigating. Yeah. And I think the, the example that you gave, um, which we can't go into too much detail, also had another trap in it, which was there was this population that needed to go to a care point to get mm-hmm. their care. And they go, wouldn't it be great if they could do it at home and we can enable it digitally? So there's a digital platform, there's a digital app, and there was a home care theater that you could put together. We normally think of digital and home as easier, but what is ironic about that is it actually made the entire experience harder. Like it was easier to get in your car, hop on the bus to go 30 minutes across town to get this treatment than it was to self-service yourself at home, get the installation, figure out all the tech. But those are the things I think we always kind of come up with, which is there's these little shiny objects that get our attention. Like it's home, it's digital, it's patient-centric. And we figure out like, no, we're solving the problem in the wrong way. And I love your phrasing, falling in love with our own belief or vision, yeah. but not really translating in that. How does that actually show up as an experience? I think what it also highlights is that not all biases are um, inherently malicious, right? right? So we were essentially perpetuating some real disparities within the health system in some ways mm-hmm. by promoting digital first. And I think the team even started to acknowledge that this is not actually that simple. If you don't have Wi-Fi, doesn't matter. Like this is not a simpler solution. And so I think it's also, I think the watchword for consultants is most of us are in major metropolitan areas. Most of us have access to things super simply at the click of a button. Mm -hmm. And I think when we think about being patient first, I think sometimes that gets confused with, um, honestly, ex- a sort of abstract, ex- abstracted experience first. And yeah. we're so in love with the experience that we forget that someone actually has to use it. For sure. And that I feel like I'm just sitting here on. bashing my own job, but I think it's more that over the years, those are the trials and errors as a consultant in healthcare that you have to learn. Those are the sort of lessons that you have to learn. Yeah, I mean, to use the analogy, you got to see the, the forest through the trees or whatever it might be. But to, to your earlier point, it was like, oh, there's a gap in care equity because people can't get to these care points. Wouldn't it be great if you get care at home? Yes, agree. But if this solution can't go into a third floor walk up with Wi-Fi and enough space for it to go in, it doesn't help. So the solution fit really well in a nice suburban home. Right. <laughs> so there's these contradictions that like it was this this this, this Gordonian knot yeah. that we kept untangling going, the belief is right, the intent is right, there's so much goodness, and but then it's getting jammed into a you know, a, a square peg around hole, whatever analogy yeah. we need to sift there. Be, because again, uh, to your point, it's it's framing around the right issues. So this has been great. I would love to just ramp out in terms of a fun question, which is if you could go back in time, you think about a, a new hire at profit or somebody considering profit, what advice would you give that person? Um, I actually was talking to a new associate yesterday. So this is very fresh. And I think I gave her exact con- conflicting advice. And on one shoulder was like how I felt when I joined. And the other shoulder was 
uh, you talking to me and giving me advice as an, as a more experienced consultant and it's try everything and be really picky because (laughs) I think a place like profit is a world of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And when you're first starting out, it's great to try a lot of things, but I often think that folks don't always know how to be strategic about those choices. And that the longer you stay in it, the more burden there is going to be to actually run projects and bring in business. Mm-hmm. And so it's look broadly, but then focus narrow and give yourself yeah. permission to change your focus over time instead of thinking that you need to be focused everywhere. Yeah, I, I think that's really great advice um, because I see a lot of people going to consulting because it allows you a little bit of liberty not to have to pick certain things. You get a little bit of variety. But at some point as you move through your career, you do have to be known for something. There's an art and science, which is try everything, but be strategic or to your point, be picky. Um, Doesn't mean you can't change your mind. Doesn't mean you're going to get pigeonholed, but be thoughtful in terms of what you fill your buffet plate with because you don't want to get at the end of the line where you've just got stuff falling off. The side. Exactly. Exactly. I'm full of really bad analogies. Today, sorry. All right. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for, for taking a, a few moments of your day and, and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to microdosing. If you'd like more content like this, go to our website at md-pod.com. And that will triage you to all the common podcast platforms and social media pages to follow us. Until next time, cheers.